Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here with me this week. We are taking a pause in our series about how do we talk to our kids about Jesus. And the pause is really hopefully to allow you some time to process what you've already heard, to rest in it, maybe to reflect on it a little bit more. This week, I've I've invited Troy, my husband, to join me in here for some kitchen table discussion, some round table discussion about the three stages we've already looked at. How do we talk to our toddler and our preschooler about Jesus? What do we say? What are we thinking when we're engaging with our elementary age kids? And then what was last week is how do we make the gospel relevant to our kids who are middle school kids? these teenagers that we have that are embarking on becoming adults and all they're worried about is who they are and what they look like. I know that for so many of my friends, I have heard back from so many of my friends how much they love sitting when Troy and I can get going and kind of just begin discussing parenting things. Parenting for us is very... um, near and dear to our hearts. And we love, we love the concept of parenting. We're constantly looking at it and trying to apply the gospel here. And so I thought maybe this would be a fun way to um, add some more information and maybe expand on what we've already talked about. So Troy, I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Um, So over the, just to catch you up, uh, we've talked a little bit about in our parenting, our toddler and our infants or our preschoolers. And in that stage, we really have talked about that the chief aim of our toddler is exploration. And so what we're really using as our primary vehicle for engaging them with the gospel is this method, this mode that they have, which is they just want to explore everything. And so we begin to introduce who God is and who Jesus is and in all the ways that the world comes alive. So when we're talking about correcting, if we want to do it in quick, short sentences, we want to have a body language that looks them directly in the eye that makes them pause in their exploration. So oftentimes I've found it's very powerful to have my little ones put their hands on my knees or hold their hands. And we begin to have a conversation. So I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts about that? No, I think I think that's such an exciting age. But I do think that they're um, very concrete. And so I've 
I've lost many good sermons uh, trying to preach to a, a two or three year old or a four year old. And so I think what I've learned over time is just really reemphasizing those major ideas as they begin to explore the world around them and understand themselves is to, to continue to point to how God has revealed himself and who he is and the things that they're exploring around them and beginning to help them understand in snippets of who they are. But it is really those short, sweet moments that we're able to really begin to introduce those concepts in these ages. What did you think was the most challenging or the most surprising about those early preschool years that you didn't, that you didn't expect? <laughs> it's a hard question. <laughs> I just stunned him with a question because we haven't practiced any questions, so he doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. Well, I think, I think a lot of it is just their concrete thinking. So, you know, when you're, when you're trying to interact and relate with a three or four or five year old from a 30 or 40 year old perspective, I think a lot of times you're trying to get into their world through your lens. And it's, you know, you talk a lot about being a student of our child, but a lot of that is really just knowing where they are, even in their development and trying to engage them on that level. So, you know, for me, probably the most challenging thing was trying to get out of my world and into their world. Um, (laughs) And at the same time, you know, being amazed at, at what they are able to grasp, but in a way that's usually communicated much differently than I would have communicated it, I guess. So, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that is the challenge um, of that age is just trying to do it in, I guess, smaller segments where you're not overwhelming the child, but at the same time meeting them where they are. So um, for me, that's always been been a challenge. (laughs) Sometimes you like to give them more information than they need. I've lost many great sermons on four-year-olds. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we want to keep it short and sweet because they really are going to, you know, within two minutes of you beginning your sermon, begin to ask you about uh, the flower that they can see outside of the window in the bathroom or something like that. Yes, as their eyes gaze over. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, after after they emerge from the toddler and the preschool years, they begin to move into those early elementary years where their thinking has always been concrete. We talked about this where everything is kind of just the way, it's the way the words are said is what they believe is actually happening or what they think the world is about. And in these elementary years, they begin to understand that words have d- deeper meanings because life has deeper meanings. So if you missed the episodes when we talked about how to talk to your elementary age kids, really briefly, what we talked about was we want to lay down the what, who God is, what is the story of the gospel, because soon the why will be emerging. They're going to be wanting to understand how does it relate to them. And why does it relate to them? And so we use story form in these elementary years. And I know that for us, I think this was the time in parenting our kids where we began to really value more time sitting together with them, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, to me, I think these are, 
you know, really neat years because they are coming out of that very concrete thinking. They're, they're starting to think more abstractly, beginning to understand God in a bigger way. And it really is, I think, you know, through storytelling where you start to lay down the foundations of those questions of the gospel, you know, who, who God is, who man is, and who they are, and then begin to introduce them to Jesus as the, the solution to bridge that gap. But it's, I think, in these years where it's really neat to begin to weave that into every element of their, their life and their minds beginning to open up in a way that they can begin to understand um, even the what, which is really significant in laying that foundation. And, you know, for kids who have come to know the Lord later, I think, you know, sometimes having to go back to that foundation of um, the elementary years and, and to lay that foundation again. Yeah, I, I know that you and I have had many talks even about our own kids as we evaluate them and look as you know, because again, we talk about being a student of our child and really looking at our kids honestly and saying, well, where are they right now with the Lord? You know, what are they, what are they wrestling through? What do we think they, what what do you think about their belief system right now? Yeah. And it, you know, it is, uh, I think parenting's an interesting journey because, you know, in some ways, um, you know, we're trying to produce functional children who, understand and interpret the world around them, but also trying to discern where they are spiritually. So, um, you know, I think a lot of these questions and stories and conversations and, you know, we have a lot of activity around even the kitchen table, whether it's eating or games where you really, I think, understand better the heart of your child and their understanding and continuing to point uh, and direct conversations to these ideas of, of who God is in their world. And again, I think it's easy to, to present sometimes who God is in my world uh, or our world, but really trying to understand who they see God to be and, and sort of help navigate as they interpret life and begin to answer these questions of what, you know, in these years. And then we talked, I talked about sin tendencies, and this is, to me personally, this is where I really begin to understand much more the heart of my children. It's in these elementary years. I mean, starting around kindergarten, I can pretty honestly, don't you think? We can pretty honestly assess a lot of the ditches that our children always end up tripping into. You know, you begin going, oh, this child consistently is struggling with self-control or with boundary crossing, you know, a little bit disobedient, um, just it's consistent. I can bank on the fact that this kid, if I say, here's the line, this child is going to be probably (laughs) dancing on the boundary. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, as you look at, um, I mean the toddler years, you get glimpses, but I think if you if you think of the toddler years, a lot of common sin tendencies like selfishness or, you know, those kind of things are present. And, and really most kids are going to display some things uh, within that age. But as you get into the elementary years, I do think you begin to understand the heart of your child better and really a lot of things that'll sometimes are even impressive as you're trying to understand. And the reality is we all have sin tendencies that we've carried 
through our whole lives. And so you get to see, you know, some that are bent toward dishonesty and, and sometimes you can't even understand what the gain was. It's just their tendency. And, um, you know, or as you talked about, just, um, lack of self-control and, you know, again, we have some that are going to walk right down the middle of the road. And then we have some that are going to dance on the boundary and can't figure out why one step takes them out of bounds. And, but those are the years that you're really beginning to most importantly, help them understand who they are and their tendency Mm -hmm. as they're also beginning to learn who God is, you know, in his greatness and in everything around them in creation and just in his nature and character. But an important part of this is really helping them get grounded in understanding who they are so that they can begin to work through that as they get in, you know, up into the, the tween years and even early adulthood. Yeah. And I think another, another, um, thing that we've seen with some of our kids is some of our kids are really blatant with their sin. So, I mean, they are just out in the open and it's like, Oh, there's that kid again. And they're selfish and, you know, wanting it, pushing, shoving others to get it, or they're, they have a great love of self. They always want to be first. They always want to be in the front seat. They always feel like they deserve the number one status, whatever it is. But then you, the other one that we've seen in our home a couple times has been the child who just kind of looks good, especially when you have a lot of kids. And I don't know how many listening have more than one. And if you could just raise your hand and go, Actually, I have that kid. Like I have the the rough one that is just, you know, you know, constantly getting in trouble. I have the the wild one or the selfish one, but I also have that one and that one is just always good. Yeah, and I I mean to be honest, those are the ones that that begin to concern me the most as I've processed and walked through different personality types cuz you know, the ones that are out there and they're on the boundary and they're you know, they make their sin tendencies very clear and known are the ones you tend to be able to process with daily. But, um, you know, the, the reality is what challenged me as a parent was the question, am I trying to produce good kids or am I trying to produce kids who love Jesus? Mm. And, and I think that question really challenged me because Mm -hmm. the, the quote, good kids, the ones who aren't really, breaking the rules or out there have their own sin tendency that, that they really need to be able to process. And a lot of parenting when, when I was trying to produce good kids or, or sort of it was even bent in that direction, really it's for me because it makes my life easier. So if they're pretty good kid, they're already easy, then, then there's not a lot of reason to rock the boat. And, and not a lot of reason maybe to talk to them for why they need Jesus. Right. To probe and to kind of understand. And so you really got to work a little more even on those quiet kind of compliant children, because somewhere in there, there's still that need to, to see them for who they are. And and they have sin tendencies. They're just a lot better at sort of, uh, I guess, working it into their day to day in a way that's not disruptive. And so as a parent, that's kind of nice, but at the same time, those kids can kind of go for longer times without really confronting their own issues that need to be confronted. So really has been a challenge. Yeah, because in, I know that we really seek 
and we're not great at it all the time. I mean, I don't, I don't want anybody here to think, oh man, these people have it wrapped up and they just are doing, doing amazing because we struggle with this all the time. We have to remind, keep reminding ourselves of these truths. And this is probably one of the reasons I wanted to have him on here is just to talk about this a little bit more. But, you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves that we can't stop at changing the behavior. Hmm. That that's really not why we have stopped that child from doing whatever it is they're doing. It's not because it's really not. Discipline is not because you can't hit your brother. That, that's really not discipline in God's economy. God's economy is, is understanding there's a motivating heart under there that needs the change that only Jesus brings. And it's when we look at the ugliness of that motivating, you know, that motivation or that, that lie. Yeah, and that's, a, I think, from a parenting perspective, that has probably proven to be one of the most challenging concepts to me because when I when I set up rules in my house as a parent my primary objective when I set them up was for the kids to follow them which Mm -hmm. makes complete sense to me that's why we make (laughs) rules but when I began to understand parenting through the gospel and I understood that God set up the law intending for us to break it Mm-hmm. Not because he likes a broken law, but you know we learn not in the Old Testament, but we learn as we get to the New Testament that he put the law in place to lead us to Christ. And yeah. so it just always struck me that God set up a law that he knew we wouldn't follow so that we would understand we need a Savior. Yes. And so it really, I think it challenged me in my own home that the the rules even of my house became less of an absolute that they have to follow and more of an opportunity mm-hmm. to reveal to them who they are and point them to where they need to be, which is to understand their need for, for Christ, even in breaking the rules in the house. So I don't necessarily, you know, we set up rules to protect them. We set up rules and we, we just follow these great reasons that, mm-hmm. you know, by golly, they need to follow our rules. But the reality is the greatest opportunities come when they break them. Mm-hmm. And there's still consequences, and and we walk those out. But really, the heartbeat is then, you know, what was the motivation in their heart to break the rule? Mm-hmm. You know, was it was it anger, or was it rebelliousness, or was it you know carelessness, or whatever led to them breaking the rules? How do we then use that to pivot that back to the gospel mm-hmm. and them back understanding to- themselves a little better, and at the same time continuing to, you know. I think, present to them who God is and then the need for that reconciliation. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, that was a radical change. (laughs) When I started this journey, I put rules in place so they would be followed. Yeah. Um, And I think that was harder for me than them. But (laughs) well, and and we we struggled with it early in parenting, too, because um, I'm I kind of think that if there's a good explanation, a rule could be broken. And so, which isn't grace, I mean, isn't at all speaking to them about the gospel either, you know, so, but I have a tendency to struggle with the discipline side of things, would you say? Yeah, I was not bent. (laughs) And, and Troy was a little bit more bent towards discipline because, um, 
and, and just personality wise, I tend to be loosey goosey and he keeps us all on an even keel and keeps us all together. Which is not always fun. (laughs) (laughs) But, but in that, neither way, neither way is God's plan for discipline. So it isn't, you will follow my rules for my rules sake because that makes my life easy. Nor is it, well, okay, if you don't follow the rules, but will you please just not do it the next time? And I hope we're okay and everything's happy, which was more my perspective. Was I just, and instead, what is the most valuable, what is God's way of helping us walk with our children and still hold their heart. You know, in past episodes, we talked about how do we hold the heart of our child and how we hold the heart of our child is in the middle of the discipline when they're facing the wrong they have done, helping them navigate the condition of their heart and understand that Jesus loves them in that space and came for them in that space and wants to change them in that place that's true discipline. I didn't have it with my leniency and you didn't have it with your rigidity. But when we walk the way God defines the gospel, which is grace led calling for repentance because justice has already been served. See, justice was served because Jesus died for them. So then it becomes this conversation of we need to see your heart and, and meet it there. And that is a huge part of, of this elementary and certainly transitioning into these tween years yeah. is really helping them understand the motive of their heart. And the, the hard thing about the law even and then the rules in our home is that, you know, I'll be honest with you, I would love to have every conversation on that heart level. And then sometimes in their sin nature, children yeah. are not there. And no. so it's you know, we have a conversation that our, our goal is not to shape their behavior, but at some point, if their heart is not sensitive, then, then, you know, you're not going to behave a certain way or do certain things. And so it is a challenge sometimes to even yeah. understand where they are in receiving that. But it is, it is neat as they begin to, to begin to understand what motivates their heart and try to understand how does that apply to how they're relating to other people or, following whatever rules have been established. And and I think those are the tools that really in your day-to-day help you probe the heart of your child mm-hmm. is, is either in relationships or rules, you know, and one way or the other, how they're engaging those two things says a lot about who they are, where they are, mm-hmm. and is really the open door for us to begin to navigate that with them as they understand more deeply what motivates them to do what they do. So now we're going to go into these crazy tween years. Yes, they are. They are. <laughs> They're a little rough. We've got several. We've been through a lot. They're all kind of stinky. They all are trying to be sassy, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you say this is the stage of that? Um, and yet, I love this stage. I do. I don't do know you? if love is the word I would use. <laughs> It is a neat, it is a neat stage, but it is challenging because a lot of, a lot of this age is them trying to, 
um, understand their identity. Yeah. And I think the more, even really since we started this journey of parenting to now, I think the noise around is so loud at, at trying to shape their identity that it really is a battlefield in a lot of ways mm-hmm. of, of coming out of these elementary years, helping them understand themselves, sort of what motivates them, but really trying to root their identity in the context of who God is and who God says they are. And then there's just a lot of noise around that says other things and tries to define them in other ways. And so it really is, a, I think, a, a battlefield in the day-to-day relationship. But, but I've been convicted lately even just of the, the battlefield in prayer that I need to be engaged in because it mm-hmm. is a battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think, so as we've done, so we've done one, two, three, four. Are we on our fourth and our fifth tween? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. We're on our fourth and our fifth tween. Four's going on five. Four going on five. And um, what would you say, so identity, but how do you think, where do you think we've, um, or... I think we could probably name lots of ways we've messed it up and we can definitely share that. Time do we have? Yeah, we, we have definitely messed it up, but what, what are some things that we've learned? Maybe would be a good question. Like what are some things you've learned about this stage and speaking into the, this concept of identity that maybe would help somebody else who's like, okay, great. So you say I'm supposed to talk to my kids about their identity and I'm not even sure I understand what my identity is. Well, I think, I think in a lot of ways, this to me is really where the battle of whether we're trying to raise well-behaved children or whether we're trying to raise children mm-hmm. who are dependent on him. Yeah. And, and to me, this is really where that battle matures and begins to have fruit even. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of the tendency is, especially as a Christian parent, is that your children are a reflection of you. And so I think there's a lot of pride and certainly was in me even built into how they perform or how they behave. And, and I think there's, you know, that's not the hope they have. And so to us, it really has become the platform to have enough freedom to fail. Yeah. And so we really, this is where, especially if you feel like you're, your child is born again and has the spirit of God. We feel like this is really the, the pivotal point of trying to call the spirit out in our children, that they begin to hear his voice, listen to conviction, you know, begin to discern wisdom led by the spirit in a way that, you know, really allows them to go out and begin to, you know, explore that enough that they fail and they can come back and, we can walk through them with that so that they're not always just well behaved until they leave the house and they've never really sharpened their spiritual or strengthened their spiritual muscles. Um, and so it is that identity of just what do you say you are? What does that mean? How does he work? And, and, you know, and allowing them to exercise that a little bit and to begin to, to gain some faith muscles in this, this period of time. Yeah. And I think, having these conversations um, with them that that say, you know, I, I see you, 
and I see you for the way God made you. Because I think really identity in this, this middle school age is talking about, they, they are wondering if the way they are beginning to become is good enough. Hmm. Like they are not sure that they measure up with all of their peers. They may not be growing fast enough. They're worried they're too small, you know, not old enough, not big enough, not, they're not like everybody else. Everybody else is growing faster. Everybody else is growing slower. Um, and, and they're just not sure they measure up. And so I do think that identity here is more about, I see you and I see the way God made you and it is good. Yeah. This is, this is to me a critical age to continue to highlight the fact that God fearfully and wonderfully made them. Mm -hmm. And so our culture has really put a spin on even valuing different gifts or different abilities. And the reality is, is they were every detail of who they were, their physical appearance, their body, their skills, and their, um, you know, everything about them that he gave them, their gifts and their strengths um, were gifted by him. And I think trying to help them even identify, like, what do you, what things do you think God made uniquely in you? Mm-hmm. And that they can begin to hold on to those and, and the fact that he didn't mess up. You know, I joke a lot about, you know, if I could have picked anything I could be uh, when I was a kid, it would have been a linebacker in the NFL. And so, unfortunately, I was 15 and I was 5'1 and weighed 90 pounds. So that, <laughs> That did not go well together. Um, And yet God knew way better than I did and gifted me in ways that weren't to be a linebacker, but to do other things. And so I think it helps him even explore who they are and how they were made and what, you know, what purpose did God, you know, intend for them before they were ever born Mm -hmm. and begin to explore their own strengths and even sometimes their weaknesses, but just. God uniquely made them for a purpose and, and to have them engage him in what that purpose was. I can't, I can't define that for them, but I can continue to sort of direct them mm-hmm. to him mm-hmm. uh, to sort of discover that in this. It really is an age of discovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but there are a lot of voices around in this time mm-hmm. that become very important that are trying to define their value for them. And, and it really yeah. is his to define. And don't you think this is also the age um, where you have to start pursuing them? Mm -hmm. So up until this point, your child has pursued you. They're like hanging out at the toilet when you're going to the toilet. They're on the other side of the shower door when you're taking a shower. They're, They're in the kitchen with you. They follow you out to the car when you're working on the car. They're always with you. And all of a sudden in this stage, sometimes they're not. And it's, it, it's a decision that we have to make that I know that we have made to pursue them for relationship and to not, I, I, and I think maybe I struggle with this more than you do, but I can kind of, um, they're not wanting to be with me then makes me feel rejected, which sounds silly because I'm their mom, but it, it, but it's true. I mean, I think 
the way I'm, I'm wired and my temperament and I, I, I want people to have fun around me and, and to enjoy. And all of a sudden you have these kind of hormone laden moody people and they don't necessarily want to be with us. And it's that concept of pursuing them in these tween years and, and giving and being willing to stay up late. If that's when they want to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the most challenging part is, you know, certainly having younger and older, the <laughs> older ones want to stay up and talk and the, you know, the little ones want to get up early. But yeah, I definitely feel like these tween years is, and, and again, uh, have done it very poorly and made effort to, to try to do it better. But I really believe this is the critical place of really cultivating that relationship. And I do think a lot of things can start in those elementary years, but again, in many ways you have, you kind of have a captive audience there. Um, and, and I think I've even learned over the years, I find it easy to invite them and I think there's some parents that don't even invite their children into their world to relate. So I feel like I've, you know, given myself dibs for being willing to invite them into my world to relate to me when I really understand probably the bigger call is to get in their world mm-hmm. and relate with them. Mm-hmm. And that I, you know, um, that's much more convicting to me. So what does that, what does that look like? Well, and- I think I can, I can play basketball with any of my kids in the yard because I love to play basketball. And mm-hmm. so I'll go out and play basketball. And if they want to join me, that's great. But if I don't feel like swimming, I'm not really interested in getting in the pool. <laughs> or, Especially when it's like March in South Georgia and our kids want to get in. Yeah. So, <laughs> stuff like that. It's but, horrible. but even, I mean, quite honestly, playing dolls or playing, you know, uh, Lego building blocks or, you know, all the yeah. things that really get into their world, um, I find much more challenging, but, but this is, it's these years that I think you cultivate that openness. And, and I mentioned it, the ability to fail where they're not going to be, again, I think there's boundaries, there's rules for a reason, there's consequences. And I, but I also believe those can be uh, laid out in grace. And, and it always mm-hmm. struck me in, in John 1 where it says, Jesus full of grace and truth. And I really believe people are either bent toward truth and lack grace, which would probably be my bent, or are, are firmly rooted in grace and lack truth, which probably would be more your <laughs> bent. And so, you know, how do we walk with them in these ways where truth is truth but there's also an abundance of grace. And mm-hmm. I think it gives them freedom to fail. And, and you know, we challenge them all the time. There's, there's not a lot of necessarily right and wrong, so we make them kind of weigh these decisions out. And I do think it opens the door even as they move beyond the tween years into early adulthood and things where that relationship is established there because of the effort, I think, made in those tween years to, mm. to navigate a lot of awkward you know, that's a very, <laughs> very awkward and elusive, you know, age, but a lot of foundation, I think, can be laid there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. Last question for this, for these three crazy stages. Which one is your favorite of those three stages? If you could freeze a child in a stage, would you? And which stage would you freeze them in? I don't think I would freeze a child just because I'm not into that. But, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I like 
the elementary years because you begin to see some of these concepts come to life and I, mm-hmm. and that's exciting to me. But I mean, I honestly would probably say the tween years because that's where you really begin to watch it sort of take root mm-hmm. and have application and become, you know, in some ways, depending on what child and what personality mm-hmm. and kind of those things. But I think that's where you really begin to see some roots laid down and and you know that sort of that's the goal when we start this journey so yeah and maybe I think I like I like seeing the give and take Mm -hmm. so that I feel like for the most part you begin to see some of uh, some dots connect in the elementary years of stories where like the light turns on and they understand where Jesus is in the story of David and Goliath like, or where, where you can see God's love reflected in the ark, right? And you can have those kind of conversations and, and you be, they begin to see that all through history, God's been rescuing his people. But it's not until the middle school years where I think they begin to maybe have more of a give and take, where they're, they're asking more why questions. They want to know the reasons behind things they want to wrestle it out and come to an understanding for themselves. Whereas in the elementary years, they're just kind of learning whatever we tell them. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that's the beginning of the journey, which is really, you know, when you set out on this, that's, I would hope, our our hope and prayer would be children who follow him as adults. And so, yeah. you, you know, that's where you're able to begin to watch that process really take hold. Yeah. Okay, we'll take a pause for now for this session, and we will join back in next week for part two when we're talking together about how do we parent our kids and have good gospel conversations and what are we both thinking about when we are engaging our kids at different ages and stages. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.